0: Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. All right, everybody, Father Craig Vosick here. You heard the dial tone. That means it's time for Straight Talk. You can call 877 795 now to get on the air with me, your host. If there's anything you have been wondering about when it comes to why we believe what we believe or how we believe or what we should do as Catholics, or if you have had a question on the faith that you haven't had a chance to ask yet, now is the time, 877 877-795-0122. 7950122. You can also send your questions in on Facebook. Our call screeners will be checking messages there. So that number again 8777950122. We are in this beautiful segment that I love. Actually, I remember a couple of years ago I asked if we could have this kind of thing where people could call and I could talk to them. And, uh, and here it is. Look at that. Here it is. So we've got some questions coming in already, some thoughts, uh, Facebook and phone calls. So please call in at 877 795 We could talk about Lent. We're uh, right into it. We are in the day after Ash Wednesday before the first Sunday of Lent. If you want to talk through all of the nuances of the liturgical expression of Lent, I did a serious study on this a couple years ago because the number 40 wasn't adding up for me. Um, And it actually doesn't add up, which that maybe is an invite to you to call and ask why. If you want to talk Lent, we can talk Lent. If you want to talk Lenten practices, we can talk Lenten practices. If you want to talk about spiritually entering into Lent, we can talk about spiritually entering into Lent. We can also talk about anything else you want. I remember going to, where was I? I never went to Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. um, But I was at Carnevale up in the north of Italy. um, And I think it might be where this all started was up in the north of Italy in the town of, what's that town that has all the uh, water everywhere? I can't think of it right now for some reason. Venice, there we are. Venice might be one of the hubs of where uh, this Carnivale, this pre-Lenten sort of festivals took place. Anyway. Those are just some thoughts about Lent. If you want to talk Lent, we can talk Lent. If you want to talk Easter, too bad. I'm not talking Easter today. You want to talk about other things like that? Not going to happen. I'm focused only on the purple of Lent today. No, you can call anything you want. Real Presence, the phone number, 877 795 We've got a whole half hour here on Facebook at Real Presence Radio or calling in at 877 795 We have a question on Facebook, and Mike should really answer this one because he's like the money guy, but I'll try my best. What does the Catholic Church teach on moral investing? With many retirement and investment funds changing companies so frequently, can we invest in a morally sound way with a small chance of supporting evil? I'm going to first answer the question that wasn't asked here, but I'm just uh, to play on the question. What does the Catholic Church teach on moral investing? I think you should invest heavily into your moral life. <laughs> you like that one, Mike? Good. We should definitely be investing heavily into our moral life. That's not the question at hand, I know. But we should definitely be doing the things daily to increase our, uh, our walk with the Lord, to live in righteousness, habituating ourselves to the good and following the law of God. All right, so that's not the question, but that's the question I'm answering Um, because I was trying to skirt the issue. Coming back to it, what does the Catholic Church teach on moral investing? We cannot give money to uh, immoral companies, Uh, and you can't invest money in immoral ways. You can't uh, do it illegally. Uh, You can't launder money. Uh, There's lots of different things. You can't enter into shady business practices hoping for a big return. Uh, So you can't do any of those things. What I do know you can do, and this is what I do, is I invest through uh, through programs or through institutions that have... Uh, taken the time thanks be to God they do this there are companies that take the time to say we're going to find out the uh, the morality of various companies uh, the morality of various uh, ways of doing business uh, across the United States and across, uh, around the world we're going to look at the key issues uh, that are things that the Catholic Church absolutely stands for we're going to look at the key issues that we know that the Catholic Church absolutely cannot tolerate and we are going to make sure that none of the investments would go through any of those companies and we will make sure that they only go through morally upright companies. Uh, and you can you can find out uh, when, when you find companies or um, agencies that invest money this way, they will have a long list. They're very open and transparent about, here's what we do. And the reason why we're telling you this is because we know that you care about this. And we know that you don't want to have to put your money uh, into places that it's like, whoa, wait a second, I just gave money to Planned Parenthood and I didn't think I wanted, I don't want to do that. Or I just gave money to whatever other thing would be completely against your, uh, conscience. Um, so it's really beautiful. Uh, not that I'm trying to make a plug for anybody, but Ave Maria, we hear a lot of commercials about Ave Maria mutual funds. Um, I've, I have had a great experience with them. I'm not trying to plug for them. They're not paying me, but I just know that that's a place where I've been able to go. And there's lots of other ones like it where I can go and they tell me, here's what we do. We monitor, we, we, we look at the changes in those companies, behaviors and practices. So if a company changes over time, they'll say, sorry, we can't go with you anymore for a company. Um, kind of renews itself. They say, Oh no, we can start investing in this company because they've released their yoke with this, uh, uh, immoral practice or whatever the thing might be. Thanks be to God. People are out there willing to do that for us so that when we, cause it, it shouldn't be that we get the short end of the stick because we don't know where to invest our money. So now we don't get to invest our money because we don't know what we can trust. Thanks be to God. There are, there are people out there that can assist with that. Um, so so you can. You can invest your money into retirement, into investment funds. You can find out. You can do it directly to companies that you know are Catholic or that you know are moral. Or you can do it through companies that do an entire vetting process. Like And it's a very thorough vetting process. And it is a constant vetting process. So then you can invest your money in a morally sound way. And you don't even have a small chance of supporting evil. You have a zero chance of supporting uh, Procedures pres- uh, supporting platforms, supporting uh, agendas that would be contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, great question. Uh, Mike's nodding, so maybe I did a good job of answering the question. I'm not sure. Do you have something else you'd say to that, Mike, actually? You- well, no. I, I uh, Father Craig, that was an excellent answer. Oh, thank you. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I was just going to say that uh, uh, if you have that question of, uh, where your money is invested, you simply ask the question to your, uh, uh, your financial advisor or the trust officer you're working with, and uh, they'll give you uh, a, a list, and, uh, and uh, you can ask specific questions uh, about uh, the different, uh, uh, different lines that they are uh, investing in. So yeah, great answer, Father. Wow, thank you. Come on anytime you want to float my boat and, and <laughs> pat me on the back. That's great. Uh, All right, great. Well, thank you for that question. So invest in your moral life, and also invest morally. That's the bottom line here. we got two points on that one. Uh, the number here, Straight Talk. This is your host, Father Craig Vosick, taking your phone calls or your messages on Facebook, 877-795-0122, or on Facebook at Real Presence Radio, again, 877-795-0122. We have a caller on the line, Stephen from Holly. Are you there? Hi. Hi, Stephen. Do you have a question today? Uh, yeah, I was wondering. So, why do non-Catholic believe that, or sorry, non-Catholic religions believe that it's okay to divorce, even though Jesus clearly states that it's not? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, if they are great question, why do non-Catholic religions uh, think that divorce is okay, even though Jesus says it's not? So, there's a couple things we want to do here. One is um, there are if, we're, if we, what we what we mean by a uh, non Catholic religion we mean non Christian um, then they wouldn 't have access to the teaching of Jesus Christ possibly um, but if you 're talking about uh, non Catholic Christian religions who do have access to the New Testament the teaching of Jesus maybe we 'll stay with that question um, and and what what 's going on there. Um, we see a couple different things going on in the in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, we see Moses give permission for divorce. Um, and Jesus comes back to that in the Gospel and says, it was because of the hardness of your heart that Moses permitted this. Um, but in the beginning, it was not so. And so, he, and as you rightly point out, Stephen, he uh, the Lord Jesus is very clear that... Uh, that there are serious things we have to look at. Now, what I want to look at with you is, uh, the notion of divorce, uh, because I think if we just put it all in one big lump, we are, are missing some nuances. Divorce, um, is a civil, if we want to talk about it in, in a distinguished way, divorce is a, is a civil, uh, removal of the, of the, uh, marriage bond. Um, and so, and then we also have to think about the the church, uh, r- the church reality, which is a sacramental bond, which unites a, a, a person, uh, two people, a man and a woman, to each other. B- uh, but in conjunction with the civil bond, um, so divorce is is a is a civil release of the of the civil bond. Um, Maybe that wasn 't exactly the same notion in the time of Jesus or not, but we we want to make sure we distinguish that from the sacramental bond, uh, which is when a, hus- a man and a wife come together and they are joined they are joined whether they are legally civilly still united or civilly uh, disunited or however you want to say that um, ununited uh, They are still sacramentally bound to each other. Now, there's a second aspect to this, which is uh, the annulment process, which looks at doesn't look at the civil bond. The civil bond is simple; it's two people who seem to be consenting. Now, they're on paper married uh, civilly. The sacramental bond is looked at in a in a much deeper way. It looks at the, the 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 realities of the of the persons coming towards the towards the marriage. Were they were they able to make a free consent of themselves? Were they pressured into it? Or did they even understand what marriage truly was? Did they understand that it's for life? Were they open to to uh, children? Uh, and the list goes on and on of the different things that have to be in place for that sacramental bond to take place. A, a, an easy example is that if someone is, uh, let's say, a religious sister, well, that's an impediment to marriage. And so so if, if a religious sister comes and says she wants to get married to someone, uh, she actually can't uh, because she's still in a, a religious profession. So that's a an immediate uh, example of you're just not free to get married. Um, Or you're married to someone else, or however the thing might be. Uh, So that's looked at the annulment process. So when we talk about divorce, we have to remember all of this. There's a civil unity and a civil disunity. There's a sacramental bond and then there's a uh, realization that the sacramental bond never took place when we look at an annulment. So that's fairly complex and you really have to think through all of that to get to the bottom of this. And it is the case that the Catholic Church allows for the release from the civil bond, which is what people think of when they think of divorce. Um, so when when a, a Catholic goes through the annulment process, we, we go back to uh, um, the provision in, in Matthew's Gospel, unless there is... Um, Uh, an inability or an infidelity or uh, there's different translations of that word, uh, then you have to stay married. But there's a provision that if the marriage was somehow unlawful or something going on, that they can be released from that bond. And Jesus does state that. He says, unless it was unlawful, you cannot do it. And so how do you interpret that? Well, the the teaching authority of the church can look at that and say, well, here's what that truly means. It doesn't mean uh, just simply a A civil bond and a release from a civil bond. We're talking about Jesus who has lifted the dignity of marriage to a sacrament. We have to look at the sacramental bond to see if the sacramental bond was ever placed there or not um, when these two came together. So, on the day of their marriage, did the sacramental bond truly come together? But there might have been something that was unlawful that actually precluded them from being able to have that sacramental bond. Let's say they're currently married to someone else, or they were forced into it, or they're not open to children, or they don't actually understand this for life or whatever these things are and then we see that it was unlawful and so there's a there's an opportunity there uh for two things a release from the civil bond which we would typically call divorce and then a release from what should have been a sacramental bond which isn't truly there which we call an annulment uh, so you asked the question about uh, how, how we're supposed to piece all this together and why do people understand it one way uh, when we under- when we should understand it another the great gift of the Catholic Church is we're able to think through this in a in an authoritative way uh, in a very comprehensive way to look at the distinctions between a sacramental bond which is an ecclesial reality or the legal bond which is a civil reality and to make to understand how they are joined together and how they are separate and to really look at the integrity of the sacrament, other churches don't have that. Some of them, they don't have that, and so all the, what they would say. I'm speaking for them, and I don't mean to over oversimplify. But they say, um, if it doesn't work out, uh, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to be merciful to you and allow you to uh, to release yourself from that civil bond, and then go and. Uh, get into another civil bond. I don't know how they make the justification of that without having the process, which we would call an annulment process. You, I, I actually don't know. Um, it's something we'd have to ask them particularly. What is the, what is their church's understanding of uh, justifying the release from the civil bond and then getting into another civil bond when, as you rightly point out, um, it's not allowed? Um, we we find in uh, the, pr- the practice of sacramental law a way to to look at that, uh, for, for men and women in the mercy of the Lord. Uh, so, so it's a great question. I think you'd actually have to ask those various churches. I I just can't speak on their behalf, but hopefully that was uh, not confusing and helpful as to how the Catholic Church looks at it. Here we are, oh, Straight Talk, with Father Craig Vosick, your host for the day, 877-795-0122. 877-795-0122. That's the phone number. You can call in and we can talk about whatever you might want to talk about, in particular, I would love to hash through Lenten practices with you. I think that would be just great. Uh, If you want to talk about religious orders, I'm happy to talk about that. We've got a big event coming up here at the University of Mary uh, focusing on vocations. And I just had the great privilege a few evenings ago of sitting down with a good old friend of mine from North Dakota State University who was discerning uh, a call to the priesthood and then he went and discerned a call to a one religious order and then discerned a call to another religious order and he is happily in formation with the Dominicans uh, out in California. He was going around in his beautiful white habit and I enjoyed an evening with him the other day so I'd love to talk about uh, religious orders, religious life, the discernment of those things, talk about Lent, talk about how awesome our uh, athletic programs here at the University of Mary. That's a shameless plug. I was just at a phenomenal A phenomenal basketball game last night. Now, I know that our listening area extends all the way to the team that we played against, so I'm not trying to trash them. I just want to lift up the fact that the University of Mary women's basketball team is awesome. They were awesome last night. They all came. Listen to this. This was great. So at the University of Mary, we have an Ash Wednesday Mass, and it's packed, 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 packed chapel. It holds like 400, but there's like, I don't even know what the fire code is, so I'm not even going to tell you because maybe we broke it. I don't even know. But we had so many people in the chapel. It was beautiful. Father Shea led us in a beautiful Mass. And uh, our entire women's basketball team, uh, on the day that they have their playoff game, they all came to Mass. Uh, they all received ashes imposed upon their foreheads. Some of them are Catholic. Some of them aren't Catholic. All the coaches were there. Uh, they were all there for the entire Mass, and I got to give them a beautiful blessing at the end of Mass and invite all the students to come to the game. Then I went to the game last night, and I saw on the players on the other team and even some residual ashes on the, on the foreheads of our players, and hundreds of people in the stands had ashes on their foreheads uh, for an Ash Wednesday uh, playoff uh, basketball game at the University of Mary. This is just a beautiful experience of Catholic culture. Let me tell you. So now they're headed on. Uh, our, our women's basketball team is headed to Sioux Falls for some more playoff action. You're not listening to Real Presence Live to hear all this, but since I'm the chaplain for the athletic department, I'm going to tell you about it when I get a chance. I'm so proud of these ladies. They're so great. So um, we are here, straight talk, 877-795-0122, also facebook.com, Real Presence Radio. You can put in your question, your comment, your concern about any all things Catholic or otherwise, and you. Can get my bizarre answers. That'll be great. All right. We got something else going on here. Do you or any listener know where the prayer at the end of the rosary, which begins, O oh God, whose only begotten Son, uh, came from? What or who is the origin of that? We never prayed this as children. Mm. Yeah, so the answer is going to be, I have no idea. <laughs> but it's a beautiful prayer. I didn't learn that prayer until I went to seminary. Um, so let's maybe just go to what is the um, what is the origin of the rosary? The origin of the rosary uh, does not consist of a lot of extra prayers that we now associate with it. We add a lot of prayers to the rosary, and they're beautiful prayers, either to our Lord or to the uh, the help of Our Lady or whatever the thing might be. But the essence of the rosary, truly, if I mean from one perspective, is the monks who were all. Um, praying all 150 psalms every day uh in religious in a religious way and there's a bunch of people who don't know how to read or don't have all 150 psalms memorized and they want to participate in prayer and the prayer truly was these 150 psalms being sung or recited over over this time so uh we we started adding in uh our fathers and hail marys and if you look at the three decades of the the three. sets of mysteries the joyful the sorrowful and the glorious you get 150 Hail Marys to equal the 150 Psalms uh, that the monks would have chanted so it was a way for people to join in so all all that really is is 50 uh, 50 100 or 150 Hail Marys with intermittent uh, our fathers at some point, the glory the glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is added. Uh, at other points, uh, other prayers are added. The Apostles' Creed is added. So the, the little tale at the beginning of the rosary where you have like the crucifix and then uh, the Our Father and Three Hail Mary beads, uh, the Creed, Our Father and Three Hail Mary beads, uh, that is actually to suffice indulgences. It's not actually part of the rosary. I mean, it's part of the rosary. It's on every rosary. But it's, it's actually the to fulfill indulgences. When you fulfill indulgences, you have to pray the creed. Well, some indulgences in some times in the history of the church. You have to pray the creed. Pray in Our Father and pray a Hail Mary, or three Hail Marys, and then pray for the intentions of the Holy Father. And so so many people do that, they're like, let's pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, it's part of gaining an indulgence. And so it was attached to the rosary so that people could gain the indulgence of praying the rosary, uh, which is the Our Father and the Hail, and the Hail Mary. Uh, Over and over again Along with that glory to the Father Now we have the Fatima prayer Has been added Since uh, the early 1900s A lot of people use that But they don't have to There's St. Michael prayer Gets added a lot It doesn't have to be I don't know exactly Know where the St. Michael prayer Started Uh, I want to place that With like Leo the 13th In the the late 1800s I shouldn't have said that. I don't, I'm not actually sure. But this other beautiful prayer, O oh God, who's only begotten Son by His life, death, and resurrection, which is a really beautiful prayer, I actually don't know. But I gave you a long answer about some of the things that I do know. Um, and it might be the kind of thing that was popular in some places at some times and has become more popular now uh, in various ways. Uh, it, but it's not an essential part of the rosary. So, if you didn't pray it as a child, you weren't failing in the Rosary. If you do pray it now, that's wonderful. If you don't now, it's not necessary. Actually, a lot of times when I'm just praying the Rosary, I just uh, pray the Potters and the Ave's and the Glorias, uh, and I just pray it all like that, and don't uh, don't add a lot of other things to it. But I'm not saying I'm the standard for this at all. So here we are, Real Presence Live, Straight Talk, your host, Father Craig Vosick, 877-795-0122. We're actually coming to the end of our segment, but there's still time. You can put something in on Facebook, or you can call in at 877-795-0122. A few minutes left. Okay, let's see. We've done that prayer. We've got another person who's not on the line, uh, someone who's in their truck on the interstate. Please explain why the days of Lent don't add up to 40. Yes, I already brought that up. That's what I want to talk about. I like talking about why days don't add up to 40. This is... There's a lot of reasons why the days don't add up to 40. And you have to look at the day that you start with, the day that you end with, and the way you understand what Lent is. Uh, And I can't get through it all. I mean, I really did a long research project on this to make sure. I looked at the history of the church. I looked at St. Ambrose, what the custom was there. I looked at St. Athanasius, what the custom was in his area. I looked at different practices, different legislations. Ash Wednesday, some people start Lent with. Some people don't start it until the Sunday, uh, the first Sunday of Lent. Because Ash Wednesday, all the prayers after that just say, days after Ash Wednesday they don't say the beginning of Lent they say the days after Ash Wednesday as if we're not in Lent yet and then Sunday comes like it's the first Sunday of Lent but it's somehow the season of Lent so we don't we don't have a very rigid legislation as to when to understand Lent truly, truly begins. Because we're going to see on Sunday in the prayers of the Mass as we begin our annual observance. Like we're saying it on Sunday. Uh, but we also said it on Wednesday. So it's like this kind of freedom place where we, can, where we don't really know what we're <laughs> We're in a season, but we're maybe not in the obligation so far. So that's Wednesday, and that's coming to Sunday. Then you go all the way through uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday, for some people, are, understand the end of the regular Lent and the beginning of a more serious Lent because it's now Holy Week. So it's like Lent, uh, Lent on on steroids. And then other people recognize that on Holy Thursday, which is the end of Lent, it says the Lenten fast or the Lent comes to an end here, and now we enter into the sacred Paschal Triduum. It's as if well, Lent ends, but now it's actually we're going beyond Lent into the the Triduum. Of our Lord so it's an even further intense time of fasting and prayer so when you put all these together you end up with m- m- way more than 46 days or 40 days 46 uh, maybe even 50 days um and it depends on where you're going to start. Now, some people say you can always take Sunday off. You're free to do that. Uh, and if you take Sunday off and you start on Sunday and you, go, uh, and you go to Holy Thursday, I think you end up with 40. And so some people say, well, there, there's our 40. Well, yeah, but there's more to it because then there's the Paschal Triduum. Uh, there's Holy Week, which should be a, a more fervent time. Uh, there's the Ash Wednesday that begins things. And so that's, there's reasons why it doesn't always add up to 40 as a season, But you can carve out 40 if you want. 40 is symbolic, nevertheless, of the 40 days in the desert of our Lord and the 40 days, so many different 40 days, 40 years of the Israelites in the desert and various things like that. So, um... It it can add up to forty if you do it a particular way. However, I like to look at it in a different way. Start on Ash Wednesday, go for it really well. When you get to a Holy Week on on uh, Palm Sunday, then start an even more intense Lent, and go through the uh, go through to Holy Thursday, and then Holy Thursday when Lent ends, then enter into the Paschal Triduum and really give it your all and enter into that sacred and solemn fast, which the Church says on Good Friday, if you can extend it through Holy Saturday, you should. I mean, this is the Lord is laying in the tomb. And uh, so continue as you can. So that's a, there's a long answer there. Uh, we're actually pretty much out of time. I don't know if we had any other things on Facebook or on the phone, but we're coming to the end here of the show regarding Straight Talk, where you had an opportunity to call in and ask questions. You can do it again. I think they do it basically every day. Um, but it's been good to, to visit with a few people about very uh, various topics. So... Brothers and sisters, up next, it's a celebration of vocations unlike any other. I'm pumped to visit with my best friend. My, This is actually my, I have two best friends. I have to say this. I have two best friends. Father Brian Criava and Father John Burns, they're my two best friends, I don't know if they, I don't know how you make that work, maybe maybe you can have two best friends, maybe you can't, but anyway, Father John Burns, one of my two best friends, and Ed Konechka from the University of Mary are going to be uh, talking to us about an event called the Vocations Jamboree, so don't go anywhere, you don't want to miss this conversation and another great hour of Real Presence Live.